0: you know, when you renegotiate a contract or when you go in and ask for a raise, let's say, I think when you have that emotional intelligence, it becomes, I don't want to say easy, but easier to say, well, this is what I've contributed. Mm. This is how the company's grown, or this is what I can do to help you and our team be better or Mm. stand out, right? Or, you know, it gives you that to kind of see things maybe from the perception of your supervisor in terms of like, what is he or she going to look for? when they're considering giving me a raise or considering mm. giving somebody else a raise. Mm. Welcome to Beyond the Dollar, a podcast where we have deep and honest conversations about how money affects our well-being. I'm Sarah Lee Kane, your host, and here to give you space to explore your relationship with money. The guilt, stress, exhilaration, fear, no topic is taboo. In this episode, I chat with Roswana Wahid a trainer specializing in conflict management using strategies from the world of psychology and neuroscience. We chat about how to effectively use emotional intelligence in the workplace so that you can effectively be happier at work and maybe increase your income to boot. Roswana also goes deep into tools to start feeling good about your work situation now and how to keep going even when you may not like your job. Now I want to continue the conversation with you, dear listener, so make sure to listen to the end for some juicy questions and how you can reach me by the way this episode is sponsored by my course freelance writing kickstart as you may know i've run my own freelance writing business for quite a while and i've shared what i learned along the way and helped others leave their jobs or earn a healthy side hustle income since so many of you have asked i've created a step-by-step process to help you cut the overwhelm when it comes to starting and sustaining a successful freelance writing business Right now, I'm offering listeners 10% off the course using coupon code BTDLISTENER. To check it out, go to www.beyondthedollar.co backslash FWS. Don't forget to use coupon code BTDLISTENER, that's in all caps, to grab your discount. To find resources shared in this episode, head over to www.beyondthedollar.co. Get ready, grab a seat, and let's go beyond the dollar. Roswana, welcome to Beyond the Dollar. Thanks for having me, Sarah. I am so excited to have you on because this is actually a very much requested topic. I don't think people know that they want to talk about it. Maybe the term emotional intelligence is a little bit... I don't want to say woo-woo. That is not the word I'm looking for. Maybe not as familiar to listeners. So can you just start off by defining what emotional intelligence in the workplace is? Sure. So in a nutshell,
1: it's about how well you know yourself and how well you're able to know others. So how well you manage your own emotions and you identify them and how well you can handle the emotions of other people without really taking responsibility for their emotions. And effectively it's a it's a concentrated it concentrates three skills. The first is the awareness of emotions themselves. The second thing is being able to regulate those emotions, and the third is the ability to harness the emotions in a positive way. So in the workplace, for example, it can help you to build trust between people that you work with, to negotiate a better salary, you want to negotiate better deadlines for a project. It helps you lead a meeting and lead a team. And it helps you really to understand yourself in all situations and also to have positive relationships with people in your life.
0: I love that. So. I want to dig a little bit into the idea of taking responsibility for. Is did you mean to say other people's emotions or just your own emotions? Both,
1: both. So imagine mm-hmm. if you're having a heated discussion with somebody in the boardroom, and you are expressing anger more than you wished. Then taking responsibility for that emotion is being able to apologize correctly after the fact. And also, if somebody is saying something that you end up feeling, you know, more insecure about yourself, or you feel hurt you don't take responsibility for that person's emotion by blaming yourself for what they're saying that you kind of, you know, give them the space they need to say what they need to say without really putting yourself in the middle of it and uh, expecting you to be the center of that emotion.
0: Yeah. Cause in your experience, when you've trained leaders or even in your own experience working in the corporate world, like what has your, what have you found? Like when you take on somebody else's emotions or take responsibility for someone else's emotions, like what consequences can there be?
1: A lot of the time I see this if I'm working with a team where somebody in the team feels like they're being bullied. So, you know, they're being passed over on projects or they're not being given all the information they need to do their work. And there is someone in the team that is doing that to other people. And often I find some people will actually blame themselves first and say, what am I doing wrong to make this person bully me? And, you know, That in itself is one way of you taking responsibility for that person's emotions by saying, actually, I'm not assessing their behavior from an external perspective. I'm actually putting myself in the middle and saying, maybe this is all my fault and they're right and I'm wrong. Whereas when you're emotionally intelligent, there isn't a right or wrong because that in itself is a judgment. But it's looking at, first of all, what is my responsibility in this situation? But what also is that other person's responsibility? And then now, what am I going to do about that once I know it? So I want to make the situation better. How do I now act in order to make that situation better? And then you know, we go down the route of of different communication strategies for conflict, for example.
0: Hmm, Love that. Do you have an example that you can, or a story that you can share of how you've navigated something like that?
1: Me personally? Yes. (laughs) It's a funny story, actually. So many years ago, I was working for a company in London. One of the director's was, I would define him as a bully at the time. And I was, you know, many years younger than I am now. So I didn't really have the kind of communication skills I have now. And he used to love using silence to really exert his authority. And, you know, he was in a position in the company where he probably had a lot of responsibility on his shoulders because he was managing risk for the company. And so it was, you know, if anything really went wrong, the responsibility was on his head, effectively in the company. And so to exert his authority over me, you know, he, as an example, we'd have a document we were going to send to a client. And if there was a mistake that he spotted, you know, he'd make a phone call to me and, and he would say, you know, where do you think he went wrong? Then he would just stay silent, expecting me to sort of fill that silence. And I was, you know, a little bit timid at the time. And I felt very, very threatened by that. And I tried this. The, the first route I tried was really speaking to my colleagues and asking them, like, can, can you try and explain to me why he is like this? Like understanding his history to find a reason for why he behaved like that, when really it wasn't my place to try and understand it. It was my place to communicate to him how I was feeling. And in the end, I ended up speaking to him and just saying, you know, when you, you know, speak to me on the phone and you use a lot of silence, I feel quite threatened by that. And I feel like you're trying to make me feel like I'm powerless when I'm not. And ultimately what that means for me is that I don't have any engagement with our project." I don't want to speak to you and I avoid you and it's delaying our projects. And what can you and I do to try and fix that? Because clearly I have something to be responsible for and so do you. I'm not here to blame you for it, but I'm saying, how can we both of us work together to fix this situation? And the key thing about that is that I wasn't going, I wasn't going into the conversation with the mindset of blame. Like he's the bully and I'm the victim. And so he has to apologize and I have to feel better. It was more about taking that emotion, the ego out of it looking at the bigger picture, what do both of us want to achieve? We both want to have projects that run on time. We both want to have happy clients for the company. And so when I made it that objective, it was something he could also come on board with without feeling like I was blaming him for everything that went wrong.
0: Oh, gosh, I love that. That is, yes. As you're saying that, sir, I'm thinking of an incident. I guess it's embarrassing to admit, but I'll say it, was when I worked in China. So every year you have to renew your work Visa, And so my husband and I were getting married in Hong Kong, so across the border. And it was kind of a stressful time, wedding planning, and then getting the visa renewed. I think the visa was going to expire, I believe, a few days before our wedding day. And we were all set to take that time off and go to Hong Kong to set everything up, meet our family and friends, Mm. etc. And so the lady who was in charge of the, the visa just kept delaying it. So she was... My interpretation was she was doing some really, really passive aggressive. Like, she wouldn't take her passport. She refused to even look at her form. She refused to answer our emails on, you know, when we can go to the, the immigration office to get all this done. And it ended up being, unfortunately, turning into a little bit of an argument because I expressed my concern to her. And then, of course, she never responded. So, my, my then fiance and I went to her boss and just said, like, we're very concerned because if we end up leaving the country, And getting married, we're not coming back because this is like really, really stressful to handle. So I'm not sure what happened between the boss and her, but then she comes in and we get into a fight and it probably wasn't the best (laughs) resolution situation, you know what you call it. But I did end up talking to her after we cooled down and she refused to explain why she didn't answer the emails. I think she just blamed ignorance, but I think I felt like I probably could have handled it differently by maybe persist, maybe I want to say going up to her a few more times and then maybe having a mediated meeting. I don't know. Mm. Like I, like I think I felt like what you were saying, I felt like I was taking on this burden of responsibility on, on her emotions. And then my husband was stressed. So I felt responsible for that stress. Mm. And it became a very awkward work situation with her afterwards. Mm. Yeah.
1: yeah. And I think it's very easy to kind of, especially as a woman, you know, we, we often feel like we can do everything by quite nurturing biologically in general. And so it's often the women that kind of go, this is all on me. I have to fix it. And that also is an element of taking on the responsibility of everybody else's actions and emotions. And often it's a case of understanding, well, I'm one part, I'm one piece of this entire puzzle. And so if it isn't up to me to create this mess, it's really not up to me to fix it all. Maybe I need to engage all the different pieces of the puzzles, all the different people, and we all work together to fix it because ultimately we all do want to fix it.
0: Yeah. No, I. So. And thinking about it from like a financial perspective, like i I think it's very common, and I'm going to generalize. It's very common for people to say, "I hate my job. You know, my boss sucks or the work hours are long, or you know, name a million reasons why they hate their job. Do you mm-hmm. feel like a lack of emotional intelligence on everyone's part, not just the employee, but the employer and maybe even the company, can be attributed to some of these negative feelings about work? Partly, yes.
1: I mean, I, think, I don't think emotional intelligence is the key to fix all of them, for sure. But it's something that would help massively. In fact, there's a study, there was a three-year study done in a company called Amadori, which are a supplier at McDonald's in Europe. And they found over the three years that when they trained their leaders to develop their emotional intelligence skills, their employee turnover dropped by 63%. So people stopped leaving the company because their leaders were better to work for. So, I think that when you have people in the company that do have emotional intelligence, it means that you are able to work with people you trust. The people that are emotionally intelligent, you know, they lead teams that trust them, they're better listeners, they're able to resolve conflict better, they are more respected, which in turn means they retain more talent and it has a positive impact on the bottom line. And when somebody who thinks I hate my job you know you know when I come into work I feel like throwing up which I once did <laughs> when I was in my 20s I hate my job so much I threw up in the car park and then went to the office often <laughs> you know that kind of feeling is resolved when you become more self-aware so you become more aware of what you're feeling or why you're feeling it and once you understand those two things you can decide what am I going to do about it so if I'm feeling nauseous before going into the office let me think about what are the elements of my job that make me feel like that is it that I don't feel like I fit in with the team? Is it that I don't trust my colleagues? Is it that I feel like there's too much pressure to perform and I'm underperforming? or is it that I'm just doing the wrong job or I'm working for the wrong reasons, or what is it? And once you understand why you feel like that, you can decide on how you would rather feel, and maybe the job will help you feel like you actually want to feel so if you're under too much pressure, it may, may be a case of having a conversation with your boss and telling him or her you know the pressure you're under because they, they may not be aware. And they can help you resolve the issue. Or maybe they change a part of your role so you have, you know, less responsibility or you do something more that you enjoy. So I think emotional intelligence absolutely has a lot to do with, you know, happiness in the workplace or somebody not feeling like they like their job and indeed profitability in the company.
0: Hmm. I do have to ask because I know I'm pretty sure listeners will be asking this. So let's say, let's say you're living paycheck to paycheck or you're paying down a lot of debt and you're just in this what somebody would call like a financial pickle and they don't feel like or they're afraid not feel like they they're afraid to even approach their supervisor or their boss or even a colleague because they don't want to i guess stir up trouble and risk their jobs but of course you know like like you said you know emotional intelligence is extremely important to to feel better in the workplace and maybe even to help the company so what would you suggest to somebody who's in that position
1: yeah i think often when we feel like we are going to risk our job by having a difficult conversation, it's ultimately because we feel like we don't have the power to make a change. It's almost an admission of weakness that I, I, you're more powerful than me. You have control over whether I'm employed or not. So I can't have a tough conversation with you because I'll risk my job. And ultimately, I think it comes down to understanding that you need your boss as much as your boss needs you. Because if you are told to leave the company, there's a, there's a gap the company needs to fill. So you do have a certain amount of power and control. But when you look at that situation from your perspective and from your boss's perspective, so what do you want or what does your boss want? You can then find a solution somehow. So for example, if I am working in a company and I feel like I'm overworked, so you know I'm meant to be working nine to five, I'm working eight to eight, or I'm working weekends as well. And that is adding stress to my life because I have no time for a personal life. I have no time for my family. All I do is think about work. Then it makes sense for me to go to my boss and say, look, this is what's been happening in my job for the last six months. These are the hours I'm contracted to, but these are the hours I'm working. And this is the effect it's having on my job, i.e. I'm not as productive as I can be. I'm not you know calm in stressful situations and this is how it's impacting the business and then actually suggesting to my boss how I would solve that with their help so not just turning up saying here's a problem please give me a solution but actually walking into the room with a solution ready because 9 times out of 10 when you when you suggest a solution to them they'll meet you halfway and you're not sort of laying the responsibility of solving it on them, you're actually walking in as a responsible individual saying, look, here's an issue that I've, I'm experiencing. And this is how it's affecting our business, not just yours, but our business. And when we resolve it, and here are my ideas, this is how I could be a more productive and happier employee. And I think what that does is it gives you some power, and it gives you some responsibility. And it actually probably raises you in in the estimations of your boss in their eyes.
0: No, I agree. I, I love the that whole you know, suggestion of taking the response from yourself to give a suggestion. I think I used to manage a team of teachers too, and people would come and be like, oh, this is happening, this is happening, which is fine. You know, that's my job to to know all of this. But then I end up getting very, I found myself, anyways, getting very defensive and worn out by the, I guess, air quote complaints. Mm. And and so I, it's nice to, it's great to think about it from the perspective of your supervisor or colleague because it's like, okay, this is what's happening. This is what I suggest. And you're right. It, it's almost like, maybe decreasing the mental bandwidth of that person like you're taking it upon yourself to try to suggest something so mm-hmm. they don't have to come up with a solution and it makes them a lot less defensive and and more willing like you said to meet you halfway
1: because mm. you've done half the thinking for them
0: <laughs> yeah and i wonder too if if you do this right number 1 you'll have a better time at work right ideally and number 2 it'll keep you in mind for promotions, raises, maybe if there's a round of layoffs, like they're mm-hmm. they're less likely to lay you off unless it's an entire department, that's another story, <laughs> but yeah, I'm yeah. wondering what I'm wondering what you think about that.
1: Yeah, I think that you know in this day and age, people are being treated hopefully less and less like robots and more like people. And the kind of people most leaders want on their teams are those that add value. And when you're somebody who walks into the boss's office with a solution to a problem, as opposed to simply a complaint, then you're seen as an asset. And I think you're more likely to be kept because of that. You're likely to be kept on the team because of that and given a promotion because of that, because you're actually showing some leadership qualities. You're showing the fact that you, you're you not just there to point out a problem and, you know, fold your arms and go, what are we going to do about this? But you actually say, mm-hmm. here's the problem. Let's work together to find a solution. I'm here working for the team. And I think those kind of people are more likely to be pinpointed for promotion or pinpointed to have a more high profile project because they're showing leadership skills as opposed to somebody who's more passive.
0: Yeah. And I'm even thinking, you know, when you renegotiate a contract or when you go in and ask for a raise, let's say, I think when you have that emotional intelligence, it becomes I don't want to say easy, but easier to say, well, this is what I've contributed. Mm. This is how the company's grown, or this is what I can do to help you and our team be better or mm. stand out, right? Because you or you know, it gives you that to kind of see things maybe from the perception of your supervisor in terms of like what is he or she gonna look for when they're considering giving me a raise or considering mm. giving somebody else a raise. Mm.
1: Absolutely. Well, actually I had um a client a few years ago who was in that very situation, she wanted to negotiate a raise in her salary, but she had no idea how to do it. And she was really focused on the how, like, how am I going to do it? How am I going to have the conversation? How am I going to convince my boss? You know, what figure should I ask for? But she didn't really think about why she was reluctant to do it and what she actually wanted to achieve, because it wasn't just a negotiation in her salary, the the increase she wanted. I think she really wanted more respect for herself. So when we started digging into where all of this came from, she talked about how, you know, I don't think I'm a very good negotiator. It's pointless to even ask for a raise because I know the answer will be no. And, you know, she was really unaware of how these beliefs were stopping her from even starting that conversation. And when she became more aware of her emotions and her beliefs, she realized that actually, all of this, I'm not good at negotiating and it's pointless, I'll never get a raise, came from the fact that when she was a child, she was constantly told because she's a girl, she isn't going to get anywhere in life professionally. And you know, it's only boys that win. And so once she realized that, she she understood that this is what was stopping her from even having the confidence to have the conversation. So once she she understood the emotions, we then walked when we I then walked her through how she would ask for a raise. So she went into the room, she uh, you know, She chose a time and a location where she knew her boss would be at his most positive. So, that, so the location mm-hmm. and time is really important. She prepared for it. So she, she thought about, well, what sort of figure should I ask for? What do I know the company has in terms of its finances? So how, who can I speak to in HR going to talk to me about budgets and what do I need to do to persuade my boss? Or so what do I know about my boss that, that's going to help me to, to have this conversation? And in the end, When she had the meeting, she wasn't able to get a yes because her boss told her there isn't a budget for a salary increase right now. And instead of taking her for an answer and going back to her desk and going about her day, she decided to counteract it. So she gave her boss a few days and then she went back into the meeting and said, look, maybe today the answer is no, but how about if I put together a six month development plan where I deliver some things for the company in six months and we can revisit this conversation and you can actually say yes to a salary increase in six months. And her boss was more than happy to say yes to that because it showed him that she was willing to do the work to show how much she's valued. And when the company has a bit more money, she's going to be the first in line to have a raise. So, you know, as an emotionally intelligent person, she was aware of what she was feeling and she was aware of how her feelings were Uh, making her act and she was also aware of her boss and how you know her boss behaves and and you know when he's at his most positive and when can i see him and then you know she showed a bit of flexibility so when the answer was no she didn't sort of think that's it my life's over she was like no okay it's no today it could be yes tomorrow let's see how else we can work together to make this happen
0: i love that how 90 percent of it was like a mindset shift Mm -hmm. and and it was figuring out yeah why am i so hesitant i I love that. And I wonder if most people even think about that. Like, oh, I'm scared to approach my boss because he's a, you know, mm. jerk. Right. Mm. <laughs> Whereas, you know, she's switched it around and think, okay, why am I even hesitant to talk to him in the first place? Why is mm. why am I perceiving him as this? I love that. Yeah, let's talk about the the term self-aware because I know people out there and sometimes I even roll my eyes and go like, oh yeah, I'm self-aware. It sounds almost like hippie and woo woo. (laughs) So like, (laughs) what do you mean? Or can we think of being self-aware more of like a practical way? Yeah.
1: I mean, self-awareness, you know, in very simple terms is understanding the emotions you're feeling in the moment. And that's it. That's it in a nutshell. But then it also comes down to understanding your personal values and how they impact your decisions. So for example, I mean, most people don't even know what their values are, or they think they do, but they don't. But ultimately, when we do something and we feel elated or satisfied or happy, there's a reason for it. And it's because it aligns with our values. And when we do something that we think will make us happy, but we're not, it's because that thing is not in alignment with our values. So for example, a few years ago, before I left my job, I had a brilliant job, I was, you know, what I would call successful, I was being paid really well, I was traveling a lot. I had great colleagues and I felt like it was my job for life. And then one day I had to take a month out of work and I could work remotely. And I had to, I was living in Paris and I had to live and work in England for a month. There was stuff happening with my family. And I asked my boss if I could work from home because my projects were not based in Paris. My projects were global. And I would still travel, but I would work from in my mom's home in England. And he basically told me that the answer is no. And the answer is no, because I don't trust people that work from home. You know, I, don't, I won't mm. trust you if you're working from home. You won't be productive. That You'll just be pretending you're online and you'll be doing other stuff. Now, my biggest value is freedom. And all it took is that one conversation for me to feel like I have no freedom in this job. I don't feel trusted. I don't feel like I'm free to do my job from wherever I want. And it led me to leave that job and start my own company. And that's a power of self-awareness and it's a power of knowing your values. So you're sort of aware of, of what your values are and how they are either aligned with what you're doing or how they're not. Self-awareness is about being aware of how your emotions change, why they change, and what you would do differently next time you're in in that situation, if anything. So for example, if you're with your team and you think you're going to get this next great project and you're passed over for it and somebody else gets it and you feel rejected and hurt and like you're not important, then self-awareness will come into play where you think, well, why do I feel like that? Is it because I that's a level of my self-worth that I feel like I'm not worthy for a project? Or is it just that I have a slight bruised ego and I can get over it? Or is it because I was promised it and now I'm not and there's something else at play here? The self-awareness is quite important because it allows you to understand when you're feeling good and when you're not feeling so good and why and how you can at least Create a life where you're feeling stuff that you want to feel as opposed to just sort of reacting to stuff that's happening around you,
0: yeah, and I bet for some people out there and we'll, hey we'll call them out it's just <laughs> easier to blame someone else right it's mm. easier to blame the shitty job, easier to blame the toxic boss instead of thinking even what is my role in this and and that's not to say that ultimately the the company that you're working for is overall a toxic culture and probably won't change and you need to change your jobs mm-hmm. but you know I think yeah, I do think self-responsibility and self-awareness, like you said, is is definitely the key to a lot of people's happiness and even in their financial lives. Because if you can I would almost say argue that you can translate all of this into personal finances, into your relationships, like mm-hmm. not work relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, every aspect of your life. Absolutely. So I would love to hear some of the exercises that you use with your clients on how they can become more self-aware or even just some exercises you do to help them communicate better in terms of using their emotional intelligence in the workplace.
1: Yeah, there's one key exercise that usually gets a lot of attention and that is when you have to have a difficult conversation. So if you're feeling like if you're feeling hurt by someone or you felt like somebody spoke out of turn or you just feel hard done by and you want to tell that person how you feel. Often that's the most difficult conversation to have because it's very easy to blame them and play the victim. So it's your fault, not mine. You hurt me. You know, I'm the one who's had to carry this around, and it's all your fault. There actually, is a, there's a model that you can use. That I learned many years ago. This isn't, isn't something I created. It's somebody else's creation, and it's basically called the SPIN model. So S P I N, and it structures your your conversation with the person. It structures the opening of the conversation. So. You start off with the S stands for a specific behavior. So you focus on you know, the experience you have with this person and the actual facts that nobody can argue against. So it isn't I was feeling like this, but it's more about this is what you said, this is what you did, this is what I observed, this is what somebody else observed. So it's facts that nobody can, can really argue against. And then the P in the spin model stands for pain or pleasure, which is basically how did you feel. So when you experience this from this other person, how did you feel? Not how they made you feel, because nobody can make you feel anything, but how how did you actually react in terms of your emotions? And then the I in the spin stands for impact. So as a result of those feelings, how did you act? And the N in the spin rule is, I would say it's an optional add-on. I think it usually comes towards the end of the conversation where you talk about what would you want that person to do next time? So what's a desired behavior? So let me put that into an example. So let's say I'm in a meeting and uh, I've I've been constantly interrupted by a colleague. And in the end, I don't bother contributing to the meeting. And I just feel like I was completely useless. And I have to go and speak to this colleague now and just tell them how I'm feeling because they've done this a few times. And I really don't want them to continue. And maybe they're not even aware of what they're doing. So I'd go up to this colleague and I'd say, you know, in, in our meeting this morning, we were talking about XYZ. And, you know, I started saying this and you interrupted me with this. And then I started saying the the other thing and you interrupted me with this. And while this was happening, I felt like my contribution was pointless. I felt like I I was ignored and I felt like there was no point in me being there. And as a result, I ended up withdrawing. I'm not sure if you noticed, but I just became really quiet and I wasn't, you know, spending much time thinking about how I can contribute because I felt like the next time I spoke, I would just be interrupted. So I'm not saying this is entirely your fault, but maybe next time we're in a meeting and you think I might have finished my thought, just give me a few seconds just to make sure that I have, and then you can, you can start speaking. How do you feel about that? And that, what, what that does is, it, you know, it doesn't blame the other person uh, because you're not saying you're to blame for me feeling like this. What you're saying is this is what you did and this is how I felt and this is how I acted and it doesn't really have a great impact on the meeting. And so maybe next time you can do something else. But the next time bit I would say you wait for it maybe towards the end of the conversation because you want to spend some time hearing what the other person felt as well and how they how they observed that particular meeting. So you could say to them, you know, this is how I felt, this is how I acted. I'm wondering how was it from your perspective? And they can then talk about and maybe maybe they weren't even aware you were speaking, maybe something else was happening, and it helps you have more of an open conversation as opposed to going in with with the blame and, and the victim mentality.
0: I love that. I love that a lot. I think that requires a lot of maturity <laughs> and a lot of self-awareness, like you've said. Yeah, just a few questions before we we wrap up is I want to touch on the idea of intrinsic motivation because I think a lot of what you and I've just discussed requires that intrinsic motivation. So can you explain a little bit about what that is? And does that really have anything to do with emotional intelligence?
1: Mm. Well, intrinsic motivation is really about doing something for an internal reward and not an external reward. So doing something because it feels good, not because you want to receive a compliment or some money or a thank you. So often we might do things because we want acceptance from our parents or we want money from a particular client. And that is extrinsic Motivation, whereas your intrinsic motivation is doing things despite the acceptance of the money coming in. That's just a byproduct. You know it's going to happen, but you're not doing it for that very reason. So I think with emotional intelligence, that comes into play when you think about, well, why am I going after this particular client? Or why do I think this job is going to be good for me? Is it because my ego is going to feel amazing because I now have a ton of responsibility and I can show off to my friends? Or is it because I genuinely want that job because I think I'm going to be great at it? And, you know, I'll get some rewards at the end, but they're not the reason why I do it. So, you know, sometimes, I mean, I struggle with this myself, you know, I want to earn more money. Why do I want to earn more money? Because I can buy amazing clothes and feel good about myself. But surely if I wanted to feel good about myself, I can find ways of doing that without needing stuff to feel good about myself. That's extrinsic motivation. And often, you know, when I sit down and really think about, you know, I'm trying to make X amount this month. Why am I trying to make it? And you and I had this conversation before. Uh, Sometimes it does come down to ego and, you know, just knowing that I can feels good, but actually it obviously will impact the kind of clients I want to work with or the kinds of projects I take on. Whereas actually if I, well, in the times that I have taken on projects I really love, they've led to even bigger opportunities and financial rewards I never would have seen if I just said no to them because my ego is in the way. So intrinsic motivation is really around doing stuff because you feel good on the inside despite any rewards that you would get as a byproduct.
0: I love that. So maybe it comes from a, you know, if you're talking about work, it just comes from this genuine desire to want to like your job or even have a easier time at your job versus I'm going to get that person or I just want to look good in front of the boss, exactly. you know, that I'm suggesting a solution. <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
1: Look at me, am I great? Whereas actually... When, you're, when your ego isn't in the room, you're suggesting a solution because you know it will benefit everybody and not just make you look good.
0: Yeah, I love that. And yeah, let's end on a high note here. So mm-hmm. last question, how are you living beyond the dollar?
1: Yeah, I've been thinking about that one for a while, actually. Um, for me, it's especially when it comes to money, I'm becoming more aware of my own beliefs around money and detaching my self-worth from it. So when I mentioned earlier about my client who you know, was afraid of asking for a a raise because, you know, in the back of her mind, she was always told that she would never get ahead because she's a girl. I recognized that and I related to it because that's exactly what I was told. And so I grew up thinking, well, my self-worth is attached to success. So the more successful I am, uh, you know, the more approval I will get from from my family effectively. That's kind of the, the script that was running in the background. And success to me meant more money. Whereas, you know, slowly but surely, I'm kind of working on understanding you know why do i need the kind of money i think i need and when i have less do i feel less well no i don't so that's one way and the other way is i have started working on projects that i feel happy about working on as opposed to this is my business and i must do this for the sake of business so for example we have a an organization here in barcelona called the professional women's network and it's it actually exists in 31 different cities around europe and south america and uh, i recently joined. I see. Recently, I joined the organization a couple of years ago, and I was I was um, heading up their mentoring team, and now I'm the president of the organization. And it's a purely voluntary role. I don't get any money for it. I don't, you know, receive any kind of physical financial reward, but I do it because I love the message of developing diversity in leadership in business. And so I'm able to lead a team. So I develop my skills. I love the team that I work with, and we're doing a lot of good here in Barcelona in collaborating with companies that do want to increase diversity in and gender balance in their leadership teams and so I started working on that project and and, you know some of my initial thoughts were really around but I'm not going to make any money from this is it even worth my time whereas when I looked at my beliefs around money I realized actually this is just going to make me feel good and I feel like I'm making a positive impact on the world and isn't that a reason to do it yes it is and jump in and lo and behold I've had Clients on the back of working for this particular organization as a volunteer, not because I went in thinking I want clients, but they just happened because I was coming from it from a, a place of integrity.
0: I love that. That I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it when I hear people that come on the show talk things that are very similar to that. So again, thank you, Roswana, for coming on Beyond the Dollar. And uh, where can everyone find you?
1: I would say find you on LinkedIn, first of all. Um, I, do, I do use LinkedIn a lot. Um, And then you can head over to my website, uh, relentless-movement.com.
0: Awesome. And I'll make sure to have all of that in the show notes. Again, thank you, Roswana, for coming on Beyond the Dollar. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Roswana. Now, before we go, I want to leave you with some questions as you're thinking about how to apply emotional intelligence in your own financial life. So first, think of a conflict or an emotional situation you recently had and how you handled it. What would you do differently now that you learned how to articulate how you feel, maybe a little bit better? Or think of a situation in your life right now where you're feeling responsible for someone else's emotions or situations. And if you do, what can you do to let go of that responsibility? So definitely let me know. Head over to Instagram, DM me at beyondthedollar or comment on any one of my posts. I will definitely try to get back to you. Thank you so much for listening in on Beyond the Dollar. If you like what you heard, please share with a friend. It'll help share the mission of what we're trying to do, which is to have more deep and honest conversations about how money affects our well-being. Tag them on Instagram, on one of my posts at Beyond the Dollar. Send them a link, whatever you want to do to spread the mission of what we're doing around here. And if you feel that putting money towards the things that really matter is a challenge for you, download our values-based spending guide. You'll gain clarity around what matters to you most in life, be able to name your most important values, and how to start putting money towards those things. To download the values-based spending guide, go to www.beyondthedollar.co. Thank you again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Beyond the Dollar. By the way, don't you love the new intro music? Thank you so much to Donovan Durance for providing this awesome song.